0: Welcome to Barnet Humanists, your secular lens on news, reviews, interviews of kids and grown-ups on ethics, politics, books and flicks and whatever makes us ticks. I'm your host, David. I'm a humanist dad in North London and I'll be interviewing kids, the mini humanists, each week with a topic to get them thinking critically. I believe that by discussing the big questions, kids are better equipped to deal with an increasingly secular world. So if you're a humanist parent, or just interested in how to foster good critical thinking, this is the show for you. Some episodes will feature a me rant, others an interview, if I can get Skype working, and others will review a book, which I find relevant to current humanist topics. This week's show, well, we've got a new studio mic this week. Woohoo! I'm hoping the audio is better. I'm recording in a park, so you're going to hear some background noise, but hopefully with better audio. Also a review of the Mini-Humanists uh, from last week and feedback from that, then we'll get on to the election. Uh, my election topic this week is going to be Jeremy Corbyn's not the Messiah, but I just might well vote for him. Then um, how to explain UK political parties to kids, because teenagers struggle. Then we'll get on to the Mini-Humanists segment followed by a book review, and this week it'll be, uh, it's Neil Gaiman's Norse Gods, and followed by the email responses to the Twitter, the responses you've given me on Twitter or via email to podcast episode one. Uh, So, off we go. So the first point I'd like to get into is uh, just technical, I've got a new mic, hopefully better audio. If you're a podcaster or you know something about audio and you want to uh, you know, chip in and tell me how I'm doing here, I'd be really grateful. This is uh, uh, all new to me and uh, I'm figuring it all out as I go along, so don't hesitate to get in touch if you know something about that. So the first point I wanted to uh, talk about today was reviewing last week's Mini Humanists conversation. It seemed to me that uh, Theo and Bobby kind of got their teeth into this topic of school dinners and trying to kind of get, wrap their heads around it and came up with some really interesting responses. thought it was interesting how Theo was kind of reacting out of like what's fair and what's unfair and like a little bit, you know, engaged by that. I tried not to sort of, you know, influence him too much with my own views, but just try to sort of bring that out of him. And the second thing was how, um, I think it was Bobby who came up with the idea that the kids in school could pay a pound each for their lunch roll. The parents could pay a pound for kids' lunch that could go to something else, like uh, older people. It's just really creative, really interesting stuff for a five-year-old to come up with. It's better than some of the policies I'm seeing in some of the manifestos at the moment. So that's just the review of last week's Mini Humanists. This week they're going to be talking about some, some different... Topics that's coming up. Uh, that's be that'll be middle of the podcast. i will try and get to that pretty soon if that's your main interest. Uh, but again, send some feedback. Let me know what you make of all these discussions. So my next point is a bit of a response to some of the feedback that I've got. One listener gave me feedback. Thank you, listener. You know who you are. That really the, we might need a bit more context for the UK election for listeners who, especially who might be outside. The UK. So I'm going to blend together two points. One was my views and how I want to vote. Uh, and uh, you're free, completely free to disagree with me on this, but maybe uh, worth my two cents worth. And then uh, the other point was talking about politics to kids. Something that I can understand that some parents don't want to do. I would like to do it and I want your feedback. So how am I going to vote in this election? Well. To me, it's pretty, pretty interesting process off the back of the recent French election. The French have an election that happen, happens in two rounds, two different tours, premier tour, second tour. So first round, all the political parties are on the card, on the uh, the polling card, and you can vote for the one that you want, which narrows down usually to two, pretty much exclusively to two, I think. I don't know any election where it wasn't two, and you then get to vote between those too. So, the advantage of that system is that you're voting once to select the party, I suppose you're voting with your conscience, and then the second time you're going to vote tactically for the one you really want to win out of the, the two leading parties. We don't get that in the UK. And I think that's a big uh, deal, our, our parliamentary vote system means you effectively vote in the election for the party you want, but then you're voting for a number of seats, and the government, the party that gets the most seats, becomes the government and if there isn't a party that wins a majority of seats they have to form a coalition so uh, what happened two elections ago was that the lib dems became the kingmakers right the conserv neither conservative nor labor party had enough votes to make a majority in parliament and they had to go in with go along with lib dems to make to make a coalition that's the term and uh, so that's how the Lib Dems ended up in coalition with the Conservatives two elections ago. So that could happen again, right, if things get close. It doesn't look very close. It looks like the Conservatives are going to win with a pretty big margin this time round. But you never know, right, anything can still happen. Now, how does this come to me? Well, I live uh, in Barnet, like the title of the podcast suggests. And in Barnet, it seems like, in my constituency, a vote for the Lib Dems, which would be my party of choice, if I'm honest would be a wasted vote, that tactically it's far better to vote Labour, and again, back to my earlier point, unlike the French elections, I don't have the option of voting two times. I have to vote the first time round, and if the Lib Dems can't win, I've got to vote Labour. And I'm frankly not a fan of Corbyn. I don't find him very credible, I don't think he brings anything very fresh from what Labour used to do in the 1970s and 80s. I think he is a better alternative at the moment than the conservatives who are trashing the NHS and trashing education and effectively their entire government policy seems to rely on how you take money from people who need it in order to uh, finance large economic organizations. I think it's a real mess what they're doing, but um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Corbyn either, but I might have to vote for him, so there you go. point now to kids. How do you talk to kids about politics? I don't know. I've got a bias. You've just heard it. I don't want the kids to have the same biases as me or to draw too much from my biases. That's probably inevitable to a point, but let's try to limit that. So I'm going to try, uh, maybe next week, with the context of the election coming up much closer, to outline Conservative, Labour and Lib Dem parties, Right, each of those three, Maybe throw in the Greens there, they're becoming a a bigger party as well, Uh, to the children and see what they would go for or if they could make a a choice if they had to vote. Seems like an interesting experiment. We'll see. Maybe, you know, toddlers can't get their heads around this. Grown ups have a hard enough time. I struggle. My teenage students don't seem to know what to make of politics or get their heads around even the. Beginnings of how these three parties work, but I'll have a go and see if I get along.
1: Well,
0: so the, this is our mini humanists segment. And we were going to start with a question which was how much should the government be allowed to know about our lives? Do you, do you know what the government is, guys?
1: Yes. No. Donald Trump.
0: <laughs> Donald Trump is the president in the United States of America, but not here. Here we've got Theresa May, who's who's the prime minister in our country. The government are the people, yeah, who make all... Don't touch that, the big big decisions in our lives. And... I want to hold it. You want to hold it, yeah? It's all right, yeah, you can hold it. So, do you think the government should be allowed to, to read my emails from my computer? No. No? Yeah. <laughs> why, do, why do you think say no, Theo?
1: Not too personal.
0: It's too personal, yeah, because they could know a lot of things about my life, couldn't they?
1: And they can put it onto the internet and then naughty people can know about it. You us. think
0: some naughty people because could know?
1: Because Donald Trump is kind of a... Maybe they'll do that.
0: Hmm. What, why did you say no, Bobby? What do you think?
1: I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you think that it's okay if the government reads people who are in charge and the government reads the emails on my computer? We don't know. Well, I can give you maybe one good reason for that, which is that some people think that it's the best way for us to stop really bad criminals from committing crimes, so if we, can find, if we can read their emails, uh, we might be able to find out that they're going to commit a crime, like...
1: Because then Donald, then he can tell that you're, you're looking on the internet about you and about yeah. things. Yeah,
0: you might have sent an email to somebody saying, I'm going to go steal a car, right? And then the police can catch you before you steal the car. So now do you think it's a good idea that the government can read our emails...
1: Yeah, yeah. So all—it's
0: hard, isn't it? Though <laughs>
1: or the per- Oh that all p- that person could leave like a piece of paper saying yeah say because your you name. Can know someone else's ah. e- email if they know your email. Ah,
0: their name. But the thing is, Bobby, that most of the time, like when I'm when I'm uh, contacting my friends now, I usually send them a text message from my phone, don't I? I don't usually write on paper, so that's why th- some people think that the government should be allowed to see the text messages on people's phones, and their emails,
1: and their phones.
0: <laughs> and if they're not going to be naughty, then well, then they shouldn't mind, right? Well, let's let's just ask one more question. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So,
0: Theo was just watching uh, children's news. On news round,
1: yes, and C B B C.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and what was it about again? What was it about?
1: It was about rubbish going into the sea.
0: Yeah, that's right. There was a lot of plastic in the sea, and where was it ending up?
1: Um. In pe- on animals.
0: Yeah. There was, so there was a desert island. It's an island where nobody lives. There's a lot of like people's rubbish that washes up from the sea there.
1: And yeah. animals live there like seagulls. Yeah. And they can get trapped in the nets and rubbish. Don't forget starfish.
0: Starfish. And what do you think we should do about that? Mm. Do you think that that's not our problem because nobody's really living there?
1: I got an idea. It yeah? is something someone it is could good.
0: Well, let's hear Bobby's someone idea.
1: Someone could swim to that island and then take all the rubbish. <laughs> and swim back.
0: Do you think one person could swim all the way across the ocean? I think
1: animals should, should be, uh, that I think they should take all of it away. Yeah. Or, because animals, animals are, are quite good, actually good for us. Mm. They, could act, take they actually make a boat. our lives Yeah. Good, I think.
0: You think animals make our lives better? Or maybe yeah. we yeah.
1: Could, someone could take a pie with
0: <laughs> well, they were showing uh, that there were some scientists... And Arsenal one. <laughs> That's right, the Arsenal won this week. <laughs> that was on the news too. But about the, about the plastic, they said that there were some scientists who were going to build a great big barrier to try and catch all the plastic rubbish.
1: What's a barrier?
0: barrier is like a sort of wall under the sea
1: it's a gi- it's like a giant barrier under the sea yeah. that that it's like a giant magnet that's mm. taking all of the rubbish and sticking onto it yeah
0: and in some places like i think in singapore they've made built an island for people to live on using plastic rubbish from the sea
1: maybe they can use that rubbish
0: do you think do you think that's a good idea
1: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
0: could live on a plastic island <laughs> yeah, there are people who live on them It's true <laughs> It would
1: just all fall down
0: Yeah, but not if it's packed really, really, really tight Okay, I think that's quite a long chat now
1: Bye bye silly old bye
0: Can say bye bye to the audience say.
1: Bye. bye poo poo pants poo. Bye bye Yeah.
0: So I'm going yeah, to review to um, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology now the book of the week, if you will. For starters, what a stunning cover. Beautiful hardback book. It's a book for keeps. Norse mythology. It's kind of what it says on the tin. It's a compilation of stories from Norse mythology. A a brilliantly written one, I think. It's kind of quite a hard balance to get in this this, uh, genre of writing of sort of high fantasy but yeah it it sort of traces a number of Norse gods you've got opening chapters that sort of introduce you the first chapter after the introduction is called the players so it introduces you to the the different Norse gods Uh, I suppose Neil Gaiman's assuming that uh, the English speaking audience isn't really familiar with those gods and then you've got uh, the first two stories after that are sort of creation myths and then it kind of goes into a series of anecdotes about the stories and all the sort of shenanigans that these different gods get up to. You've got Odin, Loki, Freya, Frey, all these are different gods, and they represent, I suppose, all different kinds of Norse ideals and different beliefs. I should really zoom out a little bit to Neil Gaiman before getting back into the the book here in my views of it. So Neil Gaiman is he's quite a prolific fantasy writer. He's written a number of children's stories that I've come across. I haven't done any of these with the kids yet, probably should do. He kind of delves into mythology, a sort of contemporary mythology in a way that pulls no punches, but that you might want to introduce your kids to. He, he's not frightened of scaring kids to tell them a good story, which I, I quite like. And I think he's written and published a fair bit about this as well, how he shouldn't be coddling children too much. Yeah, he's a fantasy writer, and it's not easy to write fantasy without sounding like you're basically ripping off J.R. Tolkien or, or C.S. Lewis or one of these sort of huge, you know, stalwart names of fantasy writing. And, uh, and I think he pulls it off quite well. You get a sense of the sort of simplicity of the story, and yet there's a kind of he sort of gently tries to borrow I suppose that high fantasy gravitas um in the in the narrative but it's still quite funny like it doesn't take itself that seriously um so it's a, it was a tough task uh, as a, as a novel I think he handles it well you get um odin who is a sort of um all seeing all knowing uh jesus figure Right. You kind of can't help but make the analogies of, you know, Odin, who hangs himself for a tree for a number of days and this sort of becomes this god of self-sacrifice and is, you know, is with you all the time, is with everyone all the time and lives atop this sort of great mountain and sees everything around him. But he's also a kind of a bit of a trickster. Thor even more of a trickster tricks all the giants, goes off, has sex with giants and drinks with giants and drinks all their food and destroys their houses and It's sort of like a running uh, joke, I suppose, throughout the book that that the gods end up finding giants that are far bigger than they are, but they sort of sort of still you know outdrink them and out beat people up and so on it's quite quite enjoyable how it's almost sort of refreshing how the Norse gods. Are just so unashamedly human. They're just basically humans with really great appetites and uh, and sort of fierce reputations. So I like it. I'm I'm a fan. Loki is sort of the the great trickster god, Thor's brother. He's uh, constantly sort of trying to dodge and duck and dive and and get around uh, all the different problems. And to to quote Stephen Fry, Fry was interviewed not so long ago on on Irish TV. Uh, and after lambasting, the god of Christianity sort of says, I would have more truck with gods, the Greek gods, who were, quote, according to Fry, human in their appetites, unquote. <laughs> and so I think Fry's sort of idea of the the Greek gods as being very human in their appetites, right? They don't pretend to be good and kind, and whatever. They are cruel, nasty, uh, vindictive, and play tricks on each other and, and this kind of thing. Well, the Norse gods... Are in this in Neil Gaiman's book are very much, like that. Um, so it's it's pretty clear, I suppose, as you read, that um, that these are myths about how the Norse cultures uh, understood their world, uh, how their landscape was shaped as it was, why it's dangerous. I suppose how you know the gods go crashing about the place and causing all kinds of havoc, and so you get volcanic eruptions and. It's that kind of creation story that you get with these um, the, these uh, tales, but they're um, they're written in a, in quite an endearing way. I think you start to kind of see these gods as a rabble, a sort of gang of miscreants who are, whose stories are sort of funny, and that you might tell over a drink. Surprisingly self-reflective. There's a chapter that deals with why the gift of poetry was given to writers by the gods, and some poetry is. Really, not very good, and and he uses a four-letter word to describe that a number of times, which I I'm not going to use in a in a podcast with the without the uh, explicit rating. So it's kind of self-reflective. I think Gaiman is sort of joking about how bad poetry works, and by extension, bad writing. I think you could read these stories with an older child, maybe uh, from about eight nine, depending on how precocious they are. I think it's a be it would be a great way of of giving a sense. How many different kinds of gods used to be believed in? Uh, you know, these were gods that were once in very good standing, and would have a child. Both sort of learn a thing or two about a culture they don't know about Norse culture, but also perhaps you know question question the sort of monolithic interpretations of a single monotheistic god in Western culture. That's a little bonus if you were to read it with your kids. But Gaiman doesn't seem to be particularly um, interested in in. Uh, I suppose, a view of what gods are or should be a religion. They just are what they are, and and he wants to tell a good story. So to, to wrap up, this I think this book gives a really great sense that gods were made by people to account for the lives of those people. They're pretty clearly sort of exaggerated forms of humans, and they're fun stories. Rather a good book, pretty interesting in terms of understanding religion and culture and Norse ideas and ideals. I really recommend it, so... There you go. We're going to wrap it up now. Please submit your questions, your suggestions for topics for the Mini Humanist discussions to barnethumanist at at gmail.com. And thank you to the listener for getting in touch, for emailing me uh, with some advice and feedback on last week's conversation. I hope you feel like I've integrated that well and made some use of it for this week. If you've got good ideas to get kids reflecting, thinking critically, please get in touch and contact us. See you next week on...